creepy campfire. I mean, it's worth it to not get caught for murder. Um, his balls wasn't feeling right. Freak out! That's not reassuring. Get freaked out. See, so these are where the questions come from. This yeah. is where it stems from. This is what makes it fun. Welcome back to Creepy Campfire, your source for all things strange, the unexplainable, the infamous, and the mysterious. Here are your hosts, Jordan and Ryan. Oh, yeah! Hey, Jordan. Hey, Ryan. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Good. Good. Hey, Andy. Hi, guys! (laughs) Just kidding. That's not my real voice. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing all right, man. Uh, Just enjoying this uh, this Bellmead whiskey. It's uh, treating me pretty well, keeping me toasty. Yeah, thank you for bringing it. Yes, definitely. So, Jordan, you have more history than I with Andy. Why don't you introduce the listeners? Yes, I do. Uh, Andy and I have been friends for about, oh my god, it's been like four years? Yeah, about, about that. Maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, even Jeez. a little longer? Oh my yeah. god, how long have I known Sean? Oh my god. Long enough. We met through a mutual friend, um, Sean, at Starbucks. We were working together, and then you two used to work together. You used to work at the store I worked at yeah right? yeah at yeah. j19 mm, yeah sean and i we, we started in fairfield but yeah we ended up going to the sacramento store on j19 and then i left and i think you eventually came over there and started working with sean right yes did you ever work for scotty yeah <laughs> cheers okay. to scotty cheers to scotty cheers to scotty Love that uh, guy. <laughs> just oh man that's just that's an inside one um yeah <laughs> and then down the road i came to know andy through your bachelor party mm-hmm had a good old time. Yeah, not too recently. A good old too toasty time. Oh man, that was uh, so much fun. Yeah, no, we, we've been talking about doing this <laughs> what episode a since then, right? About yeah, six, six mm-hmm. months. Yeah, it's been, been a long been time. Been it's been six months. It's been yeah. flying. That is one thing I will say about being married. I feel like time is going even faster. Oh yeah, dude. I, I feel like every. I mean, even without being married, every year that you live, time is just going by. It's, yeah. Faster and faster. And it's multiplying. Faster. It's yeah. crazy. It just. I feel like your perception of it. You know, like when you're a one year old, like an hour seems forever because you've mm-hmm. only had so many hours to experience. Mm-hmm. But now that you're our age, it's like my level of awareness. <laughs> I'm too. It's uh, no, too much. Yeah. It's too much. But yeah, yeah. mental breaks aside. <laughs> Um, yeah, so we decided we wanted to have Andy on the podcast. He, uh, as soon as we started talking about what we've been doing here, he pitched a couple ideas mm-hmm. and they sounded awesome right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think the first time we're kind of handing over the reins on an episode. Yeah. So it's going to be fun to just sit back and enjoy and see what Andy's got for us. Yeah. Oh, geez. You guys, <laughs> you guys are looking at me. Well, you. <clears throat> I guess, uh, I mean, if I were going to title this episode anything, it'd be called, Yes, Someone May Be Watching You. Okay. All right. I like that. Um, so I guess the general theme or point we're getting to today is um, the theme of morphic resonance. Okay. Have either of you guys listened to or heard about this? Prior to no, that? only what you've briefly um, yeah. explained about what you were going to be doing Yeah, here. man. It, it's honestly, it's a, <clears throat> it's a pretty broad theory, I feel... In, in some sense, it kind of spackles in a lot of what material materialistic science misses out on, mm-hmm. um, fills in some of the gaps. Um, whether I believe it fully or not is, you know, it's still up for debate with me, but I, I would say that I probably had some experiences that have, uh, you know, probably boosted my confidence in uh, Rupert Sheldrake's work. That's the, uh, the biochemist that came up with this general theory. Okay. Um, 
Yeah, I've been, uh, let's see, the first time I came across this was probably in high school. My friend Bobby and I, uh, him and I, we always had, like, taken notice how we always had, like, kind of like a intuitive connection with each other. Like, we mm -hmm. always, you know, knew when we, like, somebody was going to be calling the other person. I mean, we, him and I, we went to school from kindergarten up through college. Yeah. Like, we had this, like, very intuitive relationship. I think you met Bobby. He was a lot of fun at your bachelor party. Yeah, dude. Sure. Like, oh, yeah. He's a, he's a hoot. <laughs> Um, oh, he's a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> what a guy. Um, yeah, he, he's real cool. I mean, I, I miss a man like him and I. We, I mean, we don't see each other nearly as much as we used to. Yeah. I mean, since college, like, we, we've kind of part of the ways he's gone, gotten done Is his he thing. in I, San Diego? I can't remember. He, he, was, he was. Yeah, he was down in San Diego, and then I think he's up in Seattle working for Amazon right now, working okay. on their servers or something like Good that. For I can't him. remember what he's doing, but it's something important. And, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the kind of guy he is. He just, as he's, long as he's doing well for himself. Yeah, he's very, like, nose to the grindstone, getting shit done, burning candles at both ends, and always sleeping on the couch when you're trying to hang out oh my god like, <laughs> he, he's just he worked he worked really hard yeah but um anyway getting back to the point um yeah him and i we always like took note of this you know kind of like i don't know intuitive relationship we had with each other ways in each other we're gonna you know call each other um like we were just you know like i was just like thinking of you like you know you just and you just called me like that's really really weird yeah and he'd have he'd have the same experiences as me um you know we're very much like you know finishing each other's sentences or know where we were going with a general idea that we were talking about you know it was just like this like weird kind of thing we kept tabs on it for for a while growing up and sometime in high school um we had an english professor who introduced us to the idea of morphic resonance he said we, we should look it up mm -hmm. now i mean i was in high school and i was like all right teacher <laughs> i'm not gonna listen to you yeah <laughs> so, okay whatever <laughs> heard but, about it locked it away but, you know, it always stuck in my head that, you know, the, the idea that morphic resonance, you know, was something that I might look into at, at some point. Mm -hmm. And I think sometime after college, I actually came across, it actually it just like showed up on my YouTube feed at some point. Mm -hmm. Doesn't everything. Yeah, right. The <laughs> it's like everything you've ever thought of comes up at some point on your phone. And, yeah. <laughs> they're just... Uh, <laughs> knows your thoughts. I didn't know everything, dude. It's, it's a little too much. You know, it's a little scary. It's, it's, it's very scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're watching you. It's yeah. <laughs> Definitely listening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, our teacher told us about it, and then I I'd, uh, came across it on YouTube. And uh, it just, it was something that kind of captivated me. And like I said, like, I'm not sure how much stock I put into it, but I, I do kind of feel it, it deserves a little bit of merit. I, I feel like the, the amount of work that this guy has put into his theory um, deserves a little bit of attention, and mm -hmm. I don't think that. And I mean, I'm kind of getting this bias from Rupert Sheldrake. I don't think that materialistic science is going to, you know, create a space for it. It's gonna, mm -hmm. it's gonna have to be forced in at some point, yeah. if at all. You know, it's uh, people would consider it to be, you know, kind of pseudoscience-y. Mm -hmm. They might put it in the in the realm of, uh, you know, Terence McKenna or okay. um, Graham Hancock. If you guys have ever heard of that guy. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he's uh, he's a little out there, you know. A lot of skeptics, you know, try to pull apart his work all the time. But you know, he's a persistent guy, and he's. But the higher ups don't prioritize his his work. No, yeah. no, mm -hmm. I, I don't think they do. I, I think gotcha. that they see some validity in it. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of like one of those things like, oh, you know, I believe you. But if I brought this up in the office, <laughs> I'd probably It'd sound crazy, you know, yeah. sound yeah. crazy and, huh. you know, maybe not be taken as seriously as yeah. some other people. I mm -hmm. think, so, though, that's the whole point of why we have this podcast. And I don't want you to worry at all about being like, oh, well, it's interesting, but I don't know if I'm all the way on board. 
Like, I think a majority of our topics that we've talked about were like, and we've said this before, if it, there's just enough there to make you go, huh, and like think about it for a minute. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm on the board with it. Like it's just weird enough to where this could be true and kind of shatter everything else. But I think the whole point is just to get you thinking about something new. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting perspective, if anything else. You yeah. know, if, uh, you know, I, I feel science overall has always been a matter of perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy to, like, box yourself into a subset of ideas and keep yourself in there because that's, you know, that those are the tools you're working with and those mm-hmm. are the tools that, you know, you know work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to keep on keep on using them yeah. until something otherwise comes up and, you know, then you'll use that. But, um, yeah, I guess we can kind of dive into this a little bit so you know uh lead the way we can let the listeners know about do about this theory i'm gonna have to re-up on some uh some bell mead here first <laughs> yeah <laughs> freshen up stay toasty brother is it stay oh, toasty. i just love this sound guys oh yeah, yeah. well you who um <laughs> so as i was uh, saying before rupert sheldrake is the guy who came up with this theory um he uh, is, a, is a biochemist uh, he worked as a biochemist at Cambridge University in Britain, I believe, from 1967 to 1973. He's got a PhD in biochemistry, and I know he's done a lot of psychedelics. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Good start. He seems, seems like a pretty cool guy so far. <laughs> he's pretty open about that. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he, he. I would say if you if you watch any any of his videos, he'll he'll allude to allude to it and i mean he spent some time with terrence mckenna who's like this uh terrence mckenna he's kind of like really big into mushroom psychedelics oh yeah we had him the the poster boy for no because we were talking about dmt i think for the first one yeah no he was that terrence mckenna yeah he went in on his dmt trip yeah oh i'm sure he did Mm -hmm. but um yeah he's a mixed in with with uh with those sort of folk okay um but if uh, if we're gonna jump into this, like morphic resonance, I think is, is kind of like the, the the meat and the potatoes of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But to get there, <clears throat> you need to start off with this idea of morphic fields. And all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to try to go into this. Like, hold, hold on, <laughs> hold on to your seats, guys. It, it gets a little funky. Give me some science. All right. So um, this is like the kind of starting off point i mean the most of the notes that i've taken on this have been from his 2007 lecture that he did he did at a seminar and it's like about an hour and 20 minutes i think mm-hmm. he watched it yet so yep. it's a really long um lecture if you guys are interested in watching it maybe we can post a link somewhere yeah absolutely people yeah. To check we'll, it out we'll throw because, it up on, on instagram yeah if anything i mean this guy's gonna explain it way better than i can yeah um but anyways i'm gonna you know kind of go off of what he's saying here but morphic fields um the basic idea behind them is that they are the organizing fields of self-organizing systems at all levels of complexity. They underlie the organization of minds, bodies, crystals, plants, molecules, stars, galaxies. They are the field that gives them their form, their shape, their organization. They also have a kind of memory within them. Okay. So... Um, yeah, kind of st- starts off there, and you're just like, "Well, what the hell, dude? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? They're they're oh, Hold for? on, let's get in the magic school bus. Yeah, <laughs> and get ready for this. All right, <laughs> so, memory and fields. Okay, so morphic fields. Well, yeah, I mean, let's kind of break it down a little bit. Like, what is a field? Mm-hmm. All right, um, a field. I think by de- by definition, 
or at least what Rupert Sheldrake says, it, you know, it's an area with a boundary. Mm-hmm. All right, it's a region of activity. You know, you can give an example like like a football field, an agricultural field, field of view, um, like a magnetic field. Yeah. Um, a space with certain limitations. Yeah, space with certain limit limitations within it. Um, in the case of mor- morphic fields, matter, I guess, like atoms and you know everything that you know we can kind of like see, taste, and touch, um, is less fundamental than fields. Fields are more fundamental than mm-hmm. like, atoms in in his theory. Uh, matter arises from fields and not fields for matter. So. Mm. You guys following me so far okay. yeah. Are you, are you, yeah yeah <laughs> that's my first part where i'm i'm like okay this is i feel like the first like controversial thing that material scientists would have an issue with and you know i would agree too and of course i mean this is kind of like rupert Sheldrake's like view of why this is mm-hmm. is because back you know during i think you might call it like the newtonian era when you know science like really started going mm-hmm um, there was a separation between like church and science. Mm-hmm. Right. Science owned the physical things. Mm-hmm. Churches owned like the spiritual, the mystical, like the the mind and the body. Mm-hmm. Sorry, not the mind and the body, but the mind and the spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, um, that was kind of their realm. Materialistic science became materialistic. They were able mm-hmm. to, you know anything that you could see, taste, or touch. Yep. Science got. That was their realm. Mm-hmm. And so science hasn't really looked into you know those facets which i think is a big waste because me personally i mean being uh i don't like calling myself a spiritual person but being a i guess religious person i love when those things i feel coincide when science and my my religion coincide because for me that's where i'm finding like oh sweet even more proofs to it and like there still has to be a gap there for faith and that's part of the point of it but I love when those things can intermingle. Oh, absolutely. I so. mean, yeah, a lot of scientists, I, I can't name one right now, and which is probably bad for the viewers. <laughs> but, um, we do it all the time, I, don't I, worry. Yeah, I listen to, it, to a ton of podcasts, a lot of scientists on it, and I mean, I've heard the saying over and over again that, you know, science is, you know, like ends up coming back around to religion mm. and, you know, proving those points that, you know, some point or another or mm-hmm. you know they start they do start commingling and mm-hmm. it's like i like it's, this guy i'm gonna look him up it's yeah <laughs> right <laughs> um god yeah I, I should probably look those people up for the next next podcast <laughs> mind everyone yeah um so okay so like the, the morphic field i mean the cut so i mean i mean i guess like the easiest concept for people to picture in the brain is like a magnetic field right mm-hmm. okay so you got a magnet you got a north and south pole all right, and then you have the magnetic field around it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can't see the field, visible. Mm-hmm. It, you know, but there is a region of activity there. If you put a magnet underneath a piece of paper and you throw some iron filings over it, those iron filings are going to, you know, allocate themselves to the field, mm-hmm. right. and they're going to create that shape which exists. Um, so now that we've kind of gotten like the field concept in which I'm talking about down a little bit, um, I think the easiest injection into into all this is through morphogenetic fields because there are more than just one kind of field morphogenetic fields so they're morphic and then morphogenetic yes okay morphic fields is kind of like the overall uh like i guess it's like fields and then sub okay yeah like subfield you're on the right path okay um it's like saying like 
geez, how, how do I say this? You know, like guitars. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have acoustic guitars and electric guitars gotcha. and banjos and yep. other things like that. And then you have also, you know, the different brands between all of those. Mm-hmm. It's hierarchical in, in, their, in their whole archy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, probably the best word I could use for that. It's a good word. Um, well, it's, well, it's coming straight from Rupert Sheldrake, man. <laughs> whole archy. Okay. <laughs> a whole archy. Cool. Um, so let's get into the gist of morphogenetic fields. And there was no way that I think that I would be able to like explain this myself from memory. I smoke way too much pot. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's just not going to happen. So yeah, I no, am okay. literally going to read verbatim his, uh, I guess his, his explanation for what, for what they are. Um, so bear with me here. All right. So. In the 1920s, biologists working on the development of fungi, plants, and animals came up with the biological field concept. Nobody understood then, and they still don't understand today, how embryos develop, and how complex organisms like ourselves arise from fertilized eggs with very little structure. And <clears throat> the idea was that developing organisms are shaped by a, forming, by a form-shaping field, morphogenetic fields. Morphogenesis means the coming into being a form. Morphe means form. Genesis means the coming into being. Morphogenesis is the way that animals and plants and all living organisms, or even crystals, have forms that come into being. They weren't there before. After a formative process, they are there now. More structure comes from less. The idea that this process was guided and shaped by morphogenetic fields, fields that shape the forms of living organisms. They're like invisible plans or blueprints. The reason we need this is that DNA and chemicals alone can't explain morphogenesis. All biologists agree on this. Molecular biology has made it even clearer that this is the case. Think of your arms and legs. They have different shapes, and yet they have exactly the same genes. In fact, all of the cells in your body have the same genes, the same so-called genetic program, yet they're all different. Your eyes, your spleen, your liver, your kidneys, they're all different, and your arms and legs are different. The arms and legs have the same chemicals. Chemically, they're identical, yet they're different shapes. Why? Well, you can't explain it in terms of chemistry or DNA. You need a kind of plan, an architectural plan, and that's what the morphogenetic field provides. It's a bit like an architectural plan. You can build two houses completely different in shape out of the same building materials, brick, cement, timber, etc. The difference between the two houses is not in the matter they're made of, nor the amount of energy involved in building them. It could be the same for both houses. It's the plan that underlies them. That's what these fields provide. The order, the structure, the plan, or if you like, the information, where information means that which puts form into something. Information. That's what the fields are doing. Huh. Okay. So, yeah. Now... I'm going to say this because I feel like some of the listeners might be thinking this, and I had to like mentally work my way through it, half buzzed like I am. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is good That's stuff, really man. Good. Um, but initially, at the very beginning of that, when you were talking about it, and, and where you would mention scientists don't know how the formation of, of embryos and then the such goes immediately i thought back to high school and i'm like oh yeah like the sperm like goes in the egg and like it does the shit but (laughs) then i I started thinking of it at a deeper level because i'm like okay i know like that happens and then cells start to multiply and that's how we get bigger and then i'm like wait i'm still thinking too big at that point i need to go even deeper than that and what is causing the the multiplication itself is what's being questioned you know it's funny that you're saying this because 
right? I, I like when you guys, you know, asked me to be on the podcast and I started researching that, that was the same question that I had. It's like, what, you know, I've never really looked up, like, how do shapes, like, <laughs> come into being? Like, how, you know, how are they? So I actually, I, like, I looked it up and mm-hmm. I know Wikipedia is not the best source, but, you know, I looked through there, I looked through a couple other things. But the only, the only, uh, conclusions or like resources that I could find they didn't go into how I mean like your fingers have the same DNA as your eye why does why right. your finger molecules make finger mo- you know make mm-hmm. it shape like a finger why are your eyes like shaped like eyes yeah um, they don't go into that they just explain like the phases of fetal development like yeah right. this is this phase where you know yeah. you're just a couple cells now you're a clump of cells so it's like the things that we know how to keep track of yeah like mm-hmm. now you know you're certain you're, milestones you're you're in this phase where like little fingers and arms and are starting to form now you're in yeah. this phase but there's no i mean i i have yet to and i mean there there may be an explanation out there mm-hmm. i haven't you know looked it up but but potentially everything in between being caused by or yeah. supplied by morphogenetic fields. That's cool. Potentially, that's yeah. really cool. That's yeah, really... Um, yeah. It was yeah, just weird. Like they, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I just, I, I couldn't. I mean, I did like a really brief, maybe like fit, mm-hmm. like twenty to thirty minute little deep dive, like mm-hmm. deep dive into like how things are formed, and I <laughs> yeah. just, I couldn't find like a concrete. Mm-hmm. It was and, all too basic. Yeah. 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 Answer on um, you know because it's only what we know so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe they they know a little bit more now. Maybe maybe I'm just dumb and I just didn't look deep <laughs> enough, and I don't you know didn't know where to look, but. Or, you know, maybe Rupert Sheldrick's an idiot and he mm-hmm. doesn't know what the hell he's talking about either. <laughs> right, you know? But either way, it's interesting. Well, like, uh, more fun to think about it this way. The, yeah. smart aleck, <laughs> the smart aleck in me wants to be like, well, that's God's plan. That's why they do that. And there's no explanation. But also, I don't believe that we can't necessarily find an explanation. Because I feel like when people say things like that, that's when you look like, ah, you're the you're the Christian that doesn't believe in science. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not the case. I think it's cool because we can find those things out. But when I was listening to the lecture that you had sent me, and it it talked about a similar thing with this, and you might go into it later, and if so, I'll mm. stop. No, go right ahead. But um, where where it was talking about, I'm trying to remember uh, lizards when they would lose like a limb and yeah. they'll regenerate that limb, mm-hmm. um, and how the limb that regenerates, like you were just saying, like the fingers and the arm and the, the any other part of the body has mm-hmm. the same genes and same sequences. So what is it that would say make a finger and uh, as opposed to make a leg and then you just end up with four legs on a lizard? Mm-hmm. Well, four legs coming out of that one stump of a lizard. How does it, how does it know what it's lost and yeah. what to reju- like, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, the... That... Yeah, I mean, like, I was, I was definitely going to dive into that. I mean, I'll, I'll jump into it now. Go for it. Go. I, 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 I won't jump steps. I won't no, jump I steps. No, I mean, like, yeah, I, th- I thought you were going to go into it, but um, I, the point that I think that they were trying to make during that section of, of the video mm-hmm. is that, okay, yeah, I mean, the thing gets formed initially, but right. from an embryonic state, the they did, they did a test where, I mean, newts have regenerative capabilities you know mm-hmm. they can regrow their arm or they can you know re- regrow other things that get cut off of them that's just you know it's a property that they have well the, the point that they're trying to make during that section of the video is that the like the newt like you know from the embryonic state to the you know full form newt um the tests that they were doing on it was that they were trying to do damage to the newt that wouldn't necessarily be done like in in nature okay so 
one of the examples that he gave was that they they went in. I mean, this was like back, like you know, in the early days before, like PETA and all that yeah. stuff. Was right, going we, on. we mm-hmm. don't condone mm-hmm. yeah. um, hurting newts. and all that fun yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, they went in and they they cut out the iris of this newt. I mean, it's not damage that you would you know like have a surgically precision yeah. like you know iris cut out mm-hmm. and see how it was formed. Right. But they they cut out the iris of the newt, and instead of it, you know, growing from an embryonic state it actually starts growing from the the tip of the lens so it 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 starts growing from a different point in the newt than it would naturally from an embryonic state and like why does the lens know to make that shape from that point Mm -hmm. rather than you know it having to i guess have the the whole process of you know being born from an embryo all the way to being a newt again yeah you know like it like what we're like the field is the morphic field is having some yeah. kind of an impact mm-hmm. um we'll mm-hmm. get into creodes a little later but that'll kind of i guess explain <laughs> the the attraction from one state to another okay and that's we'll, so interesting yeah, yeah. And it really makes cool. me i'm sorry i'm just such a nerd that it makes me think about spider-man and the lizard and how like the, it was the scientist trying to grow his arm back mm-hmm. so that's like how the whole thing came about and just the difference between our biology and a newt's biology mm-hmm. and how they could do such amazing things and it's like i mean we can do amazing things too like just look at what we've created but just our oh, yeah. regrowing a limb yeah i mean we, we do still have regenerative you know properties about mm-hmm. us we can you know if we get cut or you know if like you know like a whole white blood cells yeah, yeah they, <laughs> they come in gotta look. but i mean I, just, I don't know i i love the things that happen naturally in the world and i just it never ceases to amaze me even things that we can kind of take take for granted that we learned in grade school like it's still it's like man that that really happens like if i cut a finger off right now that finger's not coming back it'll heal over it i might get a little bit of a nub but other animals can completely regenerate um irises and and things like like full full on limbs yeah I mean, I'll, I'll get into a couple. I mean, a couple examples in the just a moment here. Go for it. Um, one of the uh, the examples that he kind of moves on to is like, you know, bad embryos. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be bad embryos. You can think about human embryos or you know, fish embryos or whatever. But um, you know, all embryos they develop from a fertilized egg, which has like very little structure to start with. Mm-hmm. You know, how do all of the different limbs, all of the organs, you know, all of the eyes, like the skin, like the, the social construct, the mind, the consciousness, like all come into being? What what tells the cells what to do? Uh, Rupert Childrick would say that the answer that with in biology now, that's very mainstream, um, the answer would be morphogenetic fields. Um, that's what shapes it. That it has an invisible shaping blueprint. Like it's mm-hmm. just, you know, it's got this, this field where you know things are kind of being attracted to it to a certain position you know it starts at one point and Mm -hmm. it's going to be attracted to you know this later state um something to be a little bit knowledgeable about fields in this concept is that fields are holistic they are always one thing so take the idea like we'll go back to the magnet for example Mm -hmm. if you take a magnet and you cut it in half you don't get a north and a south pole 
Yeah. You get a bunch, right. You get a little, you know, you get one North Pole and South Pole over here. You get one North Pole and South Pole over here, and each each of those has its own field. Yeah. That's how morphogenetic fields are. They're holistic in that sense, where mm-hmm. there's always the imprint of the whole that's being imposed on like the material form, mm-hmm. essentially. Correct me if I'm wrong, but after shortly after that, when he goes into the biology spectrum of that, doesn't he talk about? He compares it almost to worms a little bit because he speaks where no matter where you cut a worm, if you cut the tail off, you're not just going to end up with a dead tail and then where you grow a tail. Mm-hmm. You end up with a whole new worm just from the tail. Yeah, you can split them in half from top to bottom right. as well, and that'll just grow two new worms from the same. Right, and it doesn't matter what section, you're going to get a whole part of that that gets regrown. Yeah, and you know something is, you know, telling these cells how to grow in a specific shape to create these two new and unique Mm -hmm. specimens i guess Mm -hmm. if you want to call them that or two new uh, creatures um um but yeah they're holistic you know you can't take a slice out of it you're not going to be able to pull it apart it's yeah it's there it's you know it's the the basic shape of what something is going to be formed into it's intact so yeah i mean going into i mean what we were just talking about the worms Mm -hmm. you know you, you split one in half um, I mean, you have these creatures that have like incredible regenerative capabilities. Yeah. You know, worms, uh, newts. Clearly, you know, you chop off an arm of a newt. Doesn't matter, matter where you chop it off on the arm. You can do it at the fingers. You can do it at the wrist, mm-hmm. the the elbow, all the way up to the to the shoulder, and it's the whole thing is going to grow back. Yeah. Um, you know, starfish. I, my dad would always tell me the story, and I can always uh, talk about it with morphic resonance, but. There, there was some place somewhere where they were trying to. There was like a, like an infestation of starfish, and they oh. were trying, they were trying to get rid of them. Really? Yeah. There, there were just like too many of them. Mm-hmm. It was either trying to get rid of them. I, it was a long time ago. My dad was telling me this story, but they're either trying to get rid of them or they were using them as like fish bait or something like that. Okay. But I'm pretty sure that they're just trying to get rid of them. So they took them and they cut them all up into little pieces. Like they cut, they cut all the limbs off and then just threw them back in the water. They multiplied because they didn't <laughs> Did the realize the exact wrong thing they should yeah, have done. <laughs> they didn't realize the you know the regenerative capabilities of starfish. Yeah. Um, you know the same thing happens you know with cloning plants. Like if you take take a cutling off a tree or you know like a marijuana plant. You know you, you know if you ever look into into growing, you know you always hear about cloning and what you do. You know you just you cut a cut a branch yeah. off and you replant it. Mm-hmm. And its own root will grow. It becomes its own plant on its own. I just learned you could do that with fruit trees. Yeah. And I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And I went, and so you guys probably know by now, but I'm an exterminator, so I spend a lot of time in people's backyards. But I went to this guy's house, and he was like, yeah, this section of the tree grows plums, and this section of the tree, I think, actually, I think you might have to stay in, like, the same family, but you can have a tree that grows, like, four different kinds of apples, or has limes, oranges, and lemons. And I'm like, really? how do you even do that? Like that's amazing to me. Yeah, no, it's nuts, man. I mean, no. I, I I don't know, I don't know how the hell they're they're doing that. It's something to do with it, it's a similar thing where you you cut it off at one point and you will attach the branch to the tree. Um, if any of our listeners are herpetologists and you want to correct me, feel free. But you you essentially, I mean, they you connect the the split limbs together and and it continues to grow. But that's why I almost want to say hmm. I think it has to be the same family of a plant because yeah. like apples and oranges and things like that so Go it's similar enough to where it will attach yeah but still continue to grow into sections man i don't know i'm sure a little bit of it has to do with the fact that i've not eaten since 12 o'clock today but uh <laughs> a, the- <laughs> a glass and a half of this has fucked me up feeling the whiskey <laughs> 
It's a uh, yeah. It's starting and to I'm, kick in, dude. I'm, I'm trying to sound <laughs> like a little I, bellish. Let's get through some <laughs> of stuff. We're doing fine. We're gonna power through. As long as I still sound like I have some sense, let me know if I don't. No, just like shrine. Yeah, we can have a sleepover if we need to and start in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> the chair's comfortable, right? Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, well, we we just went over with the the worms need starfish, yep. and mm-hmm. you know, you, yep. cut, you cut them up, and you know, they essentially, you know, there's mm-hmm. some kind of blueprint that they're following. That, yeah. You know, science is yet. It to, makes me feel like a sixth grader, but that still just amazes the hell out of me. Yeah. I don't know why. No, it's crazy, man. Like, yeah. Well, again, I mean, that stuff you take for granted, like you don't ever think about, it, and then we're sort of sitting here, and I'm like, why don't I ever think about that? <laughs> yeah, it's like they, on a day to day basis. Why haven't we done any oh, gene splicing yet, where I can like you know regrow my you know yeah. arm if I want to? Yeah. I don't know. What the hell makes that happen? But like a worm, a worm makes sense because it's one of the most basic creatures on planet Earth. But then when we get to something like a newt, like okay, that that's a complex organism that has organs and multiple limbs and a brain. Well, but that I mean, you can you, take one thing like a worm and you can split it in two, and then mm-hmm. it becomes two of the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Isn't I wonder safe. if it could mate with itself after that. Oh, that's an interesting that's question. That is a good question. Didn't think about that. Would it be considered uh, incest at that point, or would like it, <laughs> oh, it be fine? Very good catch. <laughs> Wormcest man. Wormcest. Yeah. Wormcest. Oh, Title of the episode: Wormcest. Wormcest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, like, zesty. So like, there's like this, like you know, kind of like field or like pathway that you know these things are following to get back to their form. I mean, embryos, you know, they start at one state. Yeah. They end up at an adult state, mm-hmm. and you know, according to Rupert Sheldrake, you know, they're following this morphic field's like probabilistic, um, you know, endpoint for what that species would end up being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, like fields are probabilistic in in a sense. Like they're not like you know you're absolutely going to form this way or form that way or form one way or another. But it's it's like it's very probabilistic. I mean, we we're kind of talking about you know worms, newt, starfish, and you know. How you know, if you chop off a limb, you know, they, they regrow it back and there's some sort of a, a blueprint there. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rupert Sheldrake would say there's like a morphic field that, you know, has an end state for, you know, what the final form of that should be. Yeah. Should have a, uh, you know, a final form of like what that should be, what it should end up like. And um, one of the facets of that is that his belief in morphic fields is kind of that they are habitualistic. Mm-hmm. So over time, you know, something happens mm-hmm. you know a form takes shape or you know a crystal creates a, a specific pattern and the more that that thing that shape that activity you know whatever function or behavior something has the more times it happens the more times it's going to happen in the, in the future so mm-hmm. you know there's kind of this like idea of creodes and that's kind of like a canalized pathway of change I mean the the I mean this is my own kind of like idea of understanding it is um, the formation of a river. So before there's a river anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. it's usually just you know flat surface, and eventually you know a water stream kind of starts tearing away and eroding at a certain point, mm-hmm. and eventually you know it does it you know it goes down this pathway you know, creates a lower surface, so more water is going to follow that exact path. So mm-hmm. the more times that, you know, the longer the water is going through, the more times something happens, the deeper that habit is going to be formed. I mean, you think of the Grand Canyon, yeah. you know, it started out very little, and like now it's, you know, it's a very cemented, you know, pathway that mm-hmm. that river is going to take. Yeah. 
Um, and I feel like that's what we're what science in general just keeps chasing is it's not so much the river itself. We know what the river does. We know what it can cause, even from just a stream. But it's the source of what that it, where it's coming from. Yeah, and I think that's you know the source of these habits of the field, mm-hmm. or the source of why these specific genes and genomes are doing what they're doing to create what they're creating, and it's all trying to find what the source of that could be. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, like, I think that's kind of like the root of what Rupert Sheldrake is trying, yeah. trying to trying to explain. Is, Absolutely. You know, and that's a, the, the morphic fields and morphic resonance as a whole is kind of trying to, you know, find its foothold in. I feel um, like this is the most positive application of history repeats itself. <laughs> what do you mean? Just that, I mean, you're talking about these these almost behaviors that are ingrained in things after doing something for so long. And mm-hmm. that, that like if it's if it's following suit of whatever has you know like the wave the wave went this far and then whatever its predecessor is comes that much further. Mm-hmm. That's just it. It's yeah. just history repeats itself. And yeah, so I mean, so like the river, yeah, like it comes down the stream yeah. and follow, follows a certain path. Mm-hmm. It also is going to follow that certain path. Mm-hmm. The development of humans and how we are formed in shape. Yeah. are going to follow a certain path and there will be deviations of that it's probabilistic it's not always the same yeah mm-hmm. but it's going to be a probabilistic form and you know i feel like that he kind of like leaves a little room for like that's how like evolution kind of okay its way the in one there. time something branches out this yeah. way or that i mean yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. the idea of uh of creodes um th- this is the yeah it's the one that like took me like the longest to i feel like kind of like get into my head and like understand what the hell he was talking about with mm-hmm. this yeah but they're like the canalized pathways for you know starting out from an embryo and then get, getting going to this last final form like there's this like attractor state within the field that you know the embryo like the first starting cells are you know attracted to becoming and eventually you know if they live long enough you know make it to that state so are creodes only um specifically applicable to to uh you know, Morphic. childbirth, or or just or just or are they part part of the morphogenetic fields in general. I mean, they're part of the morphogenetic fields in general. But okay, okay morpho. So you have like morphic fields would mm-hmm. be like kind of like the, the top subset of it. Morphogenetic fields is would be another subset of it. And then building would blocks. also be behavioral morphic fields. Mm-hmm. Okay. Be social morphic fields. Okay. There are morphic fields for you know the you know how stars form, how plant oh, okay. plants form, crystals. Um, you know. There, this probably, you know, would be like a morphic field or, you know, a pattern of behavior of like carpenters and mm-hmm. how, you know, they all create, you know, similar looking looking objects, you know, shelves and whatnot. They have a probabilistic form that they're like coming to, but it's the all going to be patterns. And so at this point, yeah. we're not even yeah. so we're, we're talking about if yeah. this if we're, this we're was at the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> if this was adopted and accepted by general science, then we're talking this would be classified something as like uh, like morphology where there's many different subsets in it where now we're talking about the fields that create these patterns. Mm-hmm. And 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 that can be broken down even further much as like we have like biology, astrology, different areas. This would almost be its own subset. Of science. of science yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. no absolutely i mean mm-hmm. I, I think that you could go as far as to say that um which is i think that's that's kind of why it like interests me so much is because it, it i mean it's it is very broad you know which could draw a lot of people away you know it's yeah. like there 
it, 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 it can really come off as like pseudoscience. It's like it's so broad and like you know you, you almost like can interpret it like very well at, in some points. So mm-hmm. you can why discount it. pseudoscience? I don't know, I mean, man. I mean, it has what? its it has its merits. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there are people out there that follow it and you know think that there's you know some validity to some things. Give but it a second thought, at least. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's what Rupert Sheldrake would would say as well. I mean, if you look at, I mean, I haven't I haven't read his book, but um, I've listened to another one of his lectures, not not the one I'm kind of referencing mm-hmm. during this podcast, mm-hmm. but he has this, you know, the ten dogmas of science. Like he is, right. he's gotten himself into a lot of, you know a lot of trouble with the scientific community he him and graham hancock those two people they're mm-hmm. the as far as i know they are the only two banned ted talks that have ever wow happened. yeah no way that's yeah. funny because i think this is this is kind of continuing a saga we've got of uh scientists that are willing to push the boundaries because our, our last episode which you don't know because i'm not i'm not had edited and published yet it was a psychologist mm-hmm. that um he he sat in on exorcisms so that way he could lend his professional opinion to be like, hey, guys, this person really has this type type of mental illness. So can we please stop this because it's not OK? Mm-hmm. So but he published all of his findings. I'm like, hey, yeah, 99 percent of the time somebody had schizophrenia or they were diagnosed bipolar by me. And this is my this okay. is my Ivy League professional opinion um, about this. And one percent of the cases. I had no explanation for it, and I fully believe that like, this was a legitimate demon possession. And because of that, he's... I don't want to say he's been ostracized, but he's been heavily criticized by his community for mm-hmm. And I feel like that um, this is kind of a similar situation. And so I think it's kind of cool that we unintentionally are continuing a saga of scientists kind of pushing the boundaries of science. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's an... You know, it's an exciting time for for that kind of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. um, pushing the boundaries. I mean, I feel that science. I mean, it's never going to be done. You know? Right. I, I don't. No. I, I don't ever see. Like, I, I can't even fathom an endpoint to science. I mean, there's always. I mean, even if we figure everything out, once we figure everything out, mm-hmm. the modularization of being able to put all those things together and working things that we find fascinating mm-hmm. is going to be just like infinite and unbelievable. Well, then even the works of social sciences, like that's never ending and ever changing. Like, could you imagine like the way society works now compared to what it was when we were kids? Oh yeah. Like it changed so drastically. Yeah, things right. things yeah. just continue to evolve and change and move. And oh, yeah. I, I think that's part of the beauty of the universe, but just why I don't get why people like when, you know, when you say the scientific community, mm-hmm. why, why they're always so, when when communities are hesitant to i guess change in general but to people with you know specific ideas or or things that might even be interesting to the entire place but i mean they again they won't bring it up because they might sound crazy to somebody else well i mean th- These, th- think about it like this man i mean okay you you spent your you know your life like, yeah. learning this particular avenue of science you make some headway. Mm-hmm. You write a book. Mm-hmm. You get some some grandeur among the community. Yeah. You find yourself in you know a higher position of you know power, and you know what you say means something. Mm-hmm. And you got this person that comes along whose ideas completely refute everything that you say. Yeah. Like how many people were you know, pissed at Einstein? Yeah. Like pissed at Einstein because of the changes he made. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily that the guy's like right or wrong. But, I mean, if you're at the top like that, it's, like, very easy to just... Where the pride in male scientists you know, comes in <laughs> to, to the pride of well. let, let, Let's be honest. Like, Dude. the pride of males, period. Well, just yeah. The pride of males. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, I mean, another, you know, key point, it kind of like wraps up the idea of fields, um, and if you haven't got this already, um, they exist in, in holarchies, in an essence. So, I mean, we all kind of learn the, you know, the example in school, you know, you, you know, you start out, you're like, all right, this is my home, my home is on this street, my mm-hmm. street is in this town, my town is in this city, the city is in this state, the state is in this country, this country is on this continent, this continent's in the world, this world is in the universe, planets, and Upwards so on. and out. Yes. Mm-hmm. So fields exist the exact same way, morphic fields. Um, you know, you have your, you know, your body, and within your body you have your organs. Within your organs they have, you know, cells. Within cells are organelles. Within organelles are molecules. Within molecules are atoms and, you know, so, so forth down to quarks and, you know, whatever other kind mm-hmm. of the you know, quantum entanglement kind of crap is going on down there they exist More as fields. like semi-separately but combined as a whole mm-hmm. that's how the fields kind of interact with each other um in a sense mm-hmm. um at least that's what i've been able to you know kind of get out of Rupert Sheldrake's speech um so we can move on into morphic resonance at this point so okay his whole theory if i could really quick go for it before we go, if we're, if we're going to end cap on morphic resonance, what did I see about something causation? Morphic resonance and the, and I'm sorry, it, it's a book that he read or that he wrote. Um, I actually read this one, morphic resonance and the nature of formative causation. Formative causation. Yeah. Because that plays into it. What, is, what specifically is formative causation? So you, the formative causation is essentially like the morphic field. Okay. It's the, it's what causes form out of a chaotic, whatever, whatever. Uh, what nevertheless, I guess, would be the the saying, would be, you know, essentially a, its purpose. A chaotic, That's like what a it's... chaotic process. And in morphic fields impose order onto chaotic processes. Okay. Essentially, they are the blueprint for you know the probabilistic endpoint of you know any self organizing system. Mm-hmm. That's the basis of it. They encompass formative causation. They are formative causation. They make those things happen. Yeah, it leads to what ends up yeah. being. They are the cause for why, why for the form. Okay, so that's kind of you know his base point for for that book, and it's a, it's a really interesting book. I mean, you can get a lot more out of out of that book. I mean, I, I'd always you know um, uh, incentivize you know listeners to you know put money into you know Rupert Sheldrake's pocket. Like check out his book. It's actually it's pretty good. Um, I've read it at least once, and then Sean stole it from me at some point. Actually, he didn't steal it. He didn't steal it. He uh, he borrowed it once. A lengthy borrow. And then it, I've never seen it. I've seen it on his bookshelf a couple times over the past <laughs> seven years, but I've never taken it back. That was the first present Sherry ever bought me. Sean, come on, Sean. I know a little something about that with movies that I've lent Jordan. We're not going to talk about the Steve Martin collection. Okay, that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> uh-uh. That sounds funny. a little bit of Fast and Furious and uh, James Bond. It's uh, stayed on his shelf. James Bond too. Yep. Fast and Furious, we got we get back. I think. <laughs> nope. Didn't we? Nope. Because we have Nailonis, we don't have yours. It, it'll get there know. eventually. Whatever. It'll get there Whatever. eventually. So yeah, I mean, we kind of get into you know dimorphic resonance at this point, yep. and the. Morphic resonance, I guess, would be kind of like the activity of these morphic fields. It's like the resonance that they kind of protrude into the universe. And Rupert Sheldrake kind of presumes at this point that the resonance within it has a type of memory. And 
the memory that it has within it, you know, it exists within these holarchies, which kind of pass through these cryotic methods, you know, mm-hmm. where you get from one point to the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so through through this memory, he kind of goes in this like side swing where he starts developing this idea that like organisms or structures, you know, whether it be, you know, animals or plants or crystals or wooden cupboards or, (laughs) um, you know, guitar shapes or anything, you know, kind of, uh, has a, has a memory within it and it's going to keep on, you know, building upon, you know, the predecessing, predecessing form. He didn't go into this in the lecture that I had listened to, um, but I couldn't help but think of instinct. Mm-hmm. But I, I couldn't help but think of instinct, like how birds know where to fly, like how they fly south for the winter, even though they've never done it before, but be, something internally in them tells them how to do that. And then all the other instincts that animals have, it, that's what made me, when he started talking about the resonance section of this, it's what made me think of instinct. Yeah, I mean, that's it, kind of a, you know, an interesting, you know, um, idea to think about. I mean, the way that Rupert Sheldrake, I think, would kind of go along on this path is that, um, you know, in, in di- Darwinian, you know, science, um, as far as evolution is concerned, you mm-hmm. know, the parents pass off phys- physical traits to mm-hmm. their offspring. Right. And behavioral traits are left to environmental you know, uh, encounters. Uh And it's, uh, you know, kind of of goes back to, like, this is like kind of like what morphic resonance is because like forms are, have somewhat of a collective memory with each other. So um, one of the experiments that he talks about um, that happened somewhere in the 1920s, I believe, um, were with rats. And there was there were these scientists that were running this experiment on rats, and they were having them go through this water maze. And I mean, again, this was like the 1920s. PETA wasn't involved, so I mean, <laughs> there's definitely some uh, some hurting going on. Um, so they had had the, all these rats going through this water maze, and every time they'd go start going, you know, one door they get the cheese. You know, if they go through the wrong door, they get an electric shock. They mm-hmm. don't do this anymore, of course, but that's what they were doing at the time. So they bred from these rats, and they're going to see how well you know, the offspring did because, you know, according to Dar- Darwinism, only physical traits get passed off to the offspring, not behavior. Yeah. So, you know, what happened? Um, the offspring kind of started off at the same point as the parents did, making the same amount of mistakes or, you know, roughly amount, you know, kind of an average probabilistic, mm-hmm. you know, kind of figure. And then the offspring from them did a little bit better, did a little bit better, did a little bit better. And there was a little bit of a, you know, kind of a jumble among the, among the scientists. And they weren't, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, you're, you're only breeding from the best rats. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're not taking account for, you know, the ones that are doing really, really badly. And you're you're only taking from the ones who are you know doing the best job at you know figuring this out and breeding from them, and that's how you know they're getting better every every succession. Mm-hmm. And so the, I can't remember the name of the scientist who was doing this, but um, he's like, all right, well I'll take that challenge on. So I'm only going to take the stupidest rats, and you know based off of what you're saying, they should only get worse and worse and worse at 
this at this yeah. maze. So he did that, and those rats ended up starting kind of like where the you know the last rats left off, and mm-hmm. then we got better and better and better as time went on. You know, the physical characteristics passed, but the behavioral traits also were passing as well. And through Darwin Darwinism, you know, you know the, the uh, behavioral traits just they don't mm-hmm. they don't transfer to the offspring. So you know, more scientists got like, oh well, you you know you're not you're not you're not doing this right. You know, you need to get a you know get a set of control rats. You mm-hmm. know, you don't have a control group. And I, I don't think that this was like very much the case back then. Maybe it was, yeah. Um, but either way, they weren't really doing it. So they got a group of control rats. Those rats right. started off just as well as the last you know set of rats were doing, and then mm-hmm. improved from there. And so there were a lot of people who got interested in different areas, like different. Uh, different parts of the world who got interested in this scientific experiment so they started doing i think i I believe it was like germany like austria and denmark and i think harvard was one of the places that was running this test okay thank you harvard for holding it down for america (laughs) (laughs) yeah thank you if you were part of this test i i I, I i'm kind of going off of memory at this point um so yeah all these all these other people started like in introducing this test and they were taking samples of rats that were from the same breed Mm -hmm. but you know they had no connection no family line of these rats you know was uh you know was transferred from you know the original lab to these other places they were just taking their own rats of the same breed Mm -hmm. and then they were testing them and those rats ended up doing just as well if not better than the the rats before so this idea of this collective regardless of distance have can draw off this kind of collective memory and the, this collective behavior that they all resonate between them. And at this point, we're not even talking about between um, from one generation to the next direct lineage line. We're talking about just any that are currently existing, drawing off the same consciousness currently. So we're we're not having to wait for one generation to die, a new one to be born, for them to. Um, have it passed on essentially but for there to be something that they're currently in the present moment drawing it from yeah right? yeah yeah currently like i guess would be drawing you know the experience of others like mm-hmm. unconsciously and you know using it to their own benefit without them really mm-hmm. understanding that they're actually doing it right which is you crazy know? when when you when you think about maybe you know putting humans in the uh in the equation like how often do you feel like you're if you're not if you're if you're not avoiding trying to be like like your parents like are you not thinking how you can actively avoid making the same mistakes that they did or mm-hmm. repeating whatever successes they may have had <laughs> yeah at this point like, it, yeah then you start going into all of the things of uh that we're all too familiar with of of i've learned alcoholism or 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 things love the such help me cope with this so this is my go-to yeah well, it happens to avoid if, especially yeah. if, uh, which has been the line. so said proven to be a hereditary thing, addictive traits mm-hmm. being that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, which if you if if taken into account, your mom, let's let's you know, test group, your mom's an alcoholic, drinks all the time, has you, nothing says definitively that if you take your first drink alcohol when you're 21 or whatever that you should crave it from no no that you should be have that same kind of craving like that you would want to be an alcoholic 
instantaneously, but you're more apt to because your parents were. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there there might be some like uh, epigenetic scientists that might you know like they they push really hard on like the environmental stature of it you know if you see it all the time and it's, yeah you know, it's right part of your environment then no totally that might be a fact that people who there's... even aren't who people people who aren't around it all the time like right. if, if, if the parents have stopped drinking or anything like that but but the kid still avoids it because they know or even gets into it and and develops that kind of tendency yeah or, or you know you even have those families you know where they like they don't drink at all and like yeah. they're very very strict and like you know they you know they keep their kids in like private schools and like mm-hmm. can't do this can't do that can't do this and they end up being like the craziest motherfuckers you ever dealt with <laughs> yeah. in your entire life yeah you know they you know they go off the loose end because they're so wound up and you know mm-hmm. like confined down eventually they burst right. yeah and you know I mean, it's noticed. like to an extent that collective that collective conscience or memory maybe does so much good yeah well and i think this gets into what we've talked about with a couple of different issues of like, I feel like the the scientific community forces things to fall into one basket of either that's because it's a hereditary trait or that's because it's a learned trait from your childhood when really it's like, could this be an and or situation? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, mm-hmm. it could be hereditary. And because of morphic resonance, it's something that you've learned that to, that helps you cope with it yeah or you haven't necessarily like learned it like you know physically like you don't even realize i mean i think the right. the, the point of like the collective unconscious that he's trying to make is that mm-hmm. you like do actions not just because you've learned it but because it's part of you know this collective memory that you know people subconsciously draw from these and, patterns you know, and things exist around yeah, you. It, you know, right. it may uh, it may manifest itself in your mind as like you know, like a muse inspiration. Like, oh yeah, you're still you know? subject to it, even though yeah. you might not be extraneously like experiencing yeah. it. Yeah, which would explain almost these yeah. social waves of things. Yeah, that, yeah, of of what people appeal like coming to. back into fashion or like mm-hmm. like a certain thing in food being yeah. a huge craze or uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, the new biggest celebrity, sorry. whatever. I'm Go for it. Too much fun getting toasty, guys. <laughs> that's, that's a good time. I'm sorry. Um, let's see. So yeah, I mean, you kind of have these, uh, you know, Hold on before you go these social groups, you know, with rats, you know, can pull off a collective memory. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, humans potentially could pull off this collective memory, but um, I guess like one of the, you know, the key points he tries to make is that like similarity makes it easier. Okay. You know, um, like trees can, you know, pull better off of like, you know, the morphic resonance memory of trees. Mm-hmm. Humans can pull off of the field of humans. Mm-hmm. Rats pull off the field of, you know, other rats more easily. And okay. it's almost obvious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah. That does make me question, though, and it's purely only because you've mentioned trees and I've not tr- thought of trees until this point. But while the similarities are very close, there's still a uniqueness to the world and i've not thought of how this um conversation can i'm trying to think how to explain it in my drunkenness um, <laughs> so fun podcast man you guys have me on more often <laughs> when, when when you're talking about the this habitual state and how mm-hmm. everything is formed off these habits, and yeah. it's creating mm-hmm. this field that's that's doing these things almost like clockwork. Learned yeah. behaviors. How mm-hmm. you can have that, and then at the same time explain um, the uniqueness, such as thumbprints, um, such as the way trees grow. Because while redwoods may be similar, their branches still grow in different formations mm-hmm. and things like that. Well, I mean, to expand on that, that that like you said, or like you said, that 
that the same genetic code is in our eyes as is in our fingers. Mm-hmm. But oh fuck, where, oh fuck, where was I going with that? <laughs> Shit. I lost it. It's okay. Halfway through, oh, I lost it right there. See, do you mind if I take over while you're? While Please you're thinking? do. So I think I think the answer to your question, and you may have not have caught it when I said it earlier, because I mean I understand like I'm kind of like I'm reading from notes, and you know it can be a little hard to pay attention to what I'm, when I'm saying it, but um, the the uniqueness that you're talking about mm-hmm. is that these morpho the, the morphic fields they don't they're not an exactness they're a probabilistic the probabilistic okay yeah, it's, right it's a probabilistic form of you know, mm-hmm. of the end state. So if you took like all the humans and you took all of their faces, threw them into Photoshop, and then like, superimposed <laughs> mm-hmm. them all onto each other to create like you know the generic human, yeah, that could essentially represent the morphic field of what humans are. They're okay. not always going to represent that face that exactly. you're seeing on Photoshop, mm-hmm. but something like that. So you know you look right. at you know the, uh, I mean if you look at it like a leaf, you know the veins that go through it are they're going to be different on every leaf. Every snowflake right. has kind of a you know mm-hmm. a generic kind of like look to it. They're all you know unique in their own way, but there's a probabilistic form that they all follow. Right. So right. Yeah, no, that, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. circle back to aforementioned thought, <laughs> what I was saying. <laughs> The fact that we can be made up of and comprised of one specific genetic code, but then we can pick up these learned behaviors or or potentially even just pick up something from a memory that we, you know, we don't know we're experiencing or something in a field like that that makes us act differently or or branch out differently than our parents may have so that history doesn't necessarily repeat itself and like mm. you said those those kind of uh quirks or yeah. differences happen in the mm-hmm. world because otherwise things would just fall in place as of, of, of their predecessors you know yeah mm-hmm. if nothing changed yeah yeah no i mean there's got to be like a little you gotta, you gotta have a little bit of variety you know? yeah it's I, I mean i think that's kind of what keeps life you know going in a sense and you know always transforming always evolving and always you know keeping it you know, better than the last generation and drawing off the last generation's Speaking specifically on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to be able to, you know, go further into the future. To try not to make history repeat itself. Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, so, I mean, uh, let me go back to, I think, the the point I was trying to get to earlier is that, you know, the the similarities of, you know, of one thing kind of, you know, they connect to the others. Mm -hmm. But another aspect of this is that um, through these morphic resonance, Rupert Sheldrake kind of believes that there's, you know, a somewhat of a telepathic sense, you know, and this happens not only, you know, it's, uh, you know, a bit more subtle between, you know, like an entire species, but when it comes to groups of people, it becomes, you know, the intuition that you have, you know, how one person is feeling like in a group, mm-hmm. you know, versus like, you know, so, oh, sorry. One person in the group that you know very well, yeah. versus a total stranger, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to pick up on their cues and you know their feelings a little bit more. You're going to have a little bit more empathy to you know how they're you know if you're at a party and you know you're seeing a friend and mm-hmm. you know maybe their body language isn't necessarily you know describing one thing, but you can feel that they're feeling another. Yeah, like you might be able to yeah. pick up on that a little bit more than somebody else who doesn't know them mm-hmm. and someone mm-hmm. else you don't know, like you don't. You know, you're not going to pick up on on those types of things. Yeah. Um, he has this idea that you know, yeah, telepathy. There, there's there can be like a small, very minute, you know, sense of telepathy between very close bonded people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how long you guys have known each other, 
Um, but I know that I, ha I had that sense with, with Bobby at, at one point. And, you know, it, it may have just been that we just, you know, have known each other for so long and we just, you know, we could finish each other's senses because we watched the same movies and we, you know, yeah. grew up together. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we, we kind of grew up in the same environment and stuff kind of like that. But, you know, knowing that he was about to call me in about a couple minutes when I had no plans to call him. Right. Or, you know, if you ever, like, have you ever guys, like, thought of a friend that you haven't thought about in a long time? And then all of a sudden they call you mm -hmm. or they get in mm -hmm. contact with you. Mm -hmm. Like you just haven't even, you know, like you, you haven't talked to him in years. And then all of a sudden just boop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Messenger. Boop. Phone call. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's very weird because when you said that, my wife booped me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, close bonded people have a, have a, through this resonance, have a little bit more of a like telepathic bond between them. It's not, I wouldn't say it's, it's huge. He doesn't exclaim it to be like, you know, this like very, you know, significant thing but apparently he's done he's done some tests that have uh that have brought his idea to a little bit more concern than you know people are really or other scientists i guess would be picking it up as being like a probabilistic thing yeah um real um, quick my wife would like to know would you guys like cheesecake because they're at the cheesecake factory oh, you guys are gonna fuck me up with my diet. Hell yeah, I want some cheese. It, it's, it's eggs. It's an animal product. <laughs> I can't turn down you cheese. Got me there. But uh, do you know what kind? I'm, she knows me. She does know you. What what kind of? Are you a, a very sweet cheesecake person? Surprise me. Okay. Chocolate or fruit? Yeah, that's a good. And that's I'll just go chocolate. Okay. Yeah. There you go. You should add this into the podcast. I know. <laughs> Seriously, people would love this shit. It's a fun one. It totally yeah. fits for sure. You like it? Oh yeah. Like, you like the the. Oh uh, yeah. Seriously, do you like the anything that makes us like? We're open to anything that makes us like ponder. Yeah. Honestly, like it doesn't have to be any even anything. Honestly, super creepy yeah. or like yeah, like like this doesn't have down. to be uh, 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 spooks and and I don't know like chupacabra. It's literally anything that throws the world in a different perception from what you'd ordinarily have it. Thankfully, we've kept it broad enough. Yeah. I think and we're really glad we haven't narrowed it down that much. Yeah, no, I think I think you guys are doing a really good job with keeping that keeping that open with it. Thank you. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, I mean, I didn't think that this would fit into your guys' prerogative at all. Well, and to be fair, we've not tackled anything like this. I don't think because we've not wanted to. Because um, especially me, I, I'm sure Jordan as well. We talked about some pseudo scientific stuff. Espe what dimensions like, we have, yeah, yeah. But I, I think which I need to elaborate on that because I've actually had some recent personal revelations with dimensions that I need to talk on. But that's another day. Okay. But um, if you guys ever are looking for like a, uh, do, do either guys ever watch the Joe Rogan podcast or seen it? Every now and then, I've yeah. seen it. Yeah. If you guys ever need a Jamie. Let me know. I'd love to be your Jamie. Okay. Jamie is the dude on Joe Rogan podcast who Google's everything to make sure everything's factually correct. The fact checker. Oh, the fact checker. Yeah. 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 He, 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 he brings things up and. I mean, that would be a serious dedication. That would be like almost every. Oh yeah, because you'd have that to would read. Be episodic. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying really hard as I can to say like Rupert Sheldrake would say this. Because, no, no, you're doing yeah. a good job. You're because, doing like, a good I'm, job. I'm, I'm like honestly like as far like my beliefs on work yeah. resonance. I think there's some validity to it a little bit. 
I think there's a lot of mm-hmm. mm to it as mm-hmm. well, yeah. but I, I don't think it's something that should be skipped over. Yeah, like right. in science, like no, that, that's not... my idea on it. Absolutely, yeah, it's that... like you can't. Yeah, I mean, you can't say exactly how this thing works. I think, you don't no. know, so it's like I mean, it's fun. It's a, just just yeah. a fun thought. I feel like the idea. I mean, I'm only I'm giving you guys like bits, like little nuggets. Yeah, like if you, if you ever watch the like the lecture I, I showed him, you get a, a better a better broader picture mm-hmm. and more concise of what I'm telling you guys because I'm, I'm picking and choosing what I'm deciding to tell you. Yeah. All right, so back with get, getting us back on track here. I, I, it makes me think of a, a. I'll let you explain it because you've heard it more than I have. But the the. It, I want to call it the experimentation, but it was almost like a happy experiment because it was something he didn't even. It wasn't intentionally done, but he looked up the statistics on it and it created almost a, a experiment in itself with with standardized testing in Europe. You know what, man? I, I think that you actually know this one better than I paid okay. attention, attention to it during the video because when when you'd first mentioned when we we stepped outside a moment ago, and mm-hmm. you know you're talking about it, but when you mentioned it, the one I was thinking that you were talking about was about his son. Um, oh, his son. You know, he was like 16 at one point. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitely. I mean, everyone's 16 at one point. <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> yeah, knock on wood. I mean, okay, I mean, uh, <laughs> make it that far yeah i mean the video we're talking about right now is you know it's a youtube video from 2007 so it's it's a little dated Mm -hmm. but and he was he was talking about his son when he was 16 at the time and he was telling his dad he's like we figured out a way that we're going to boost our test scores through morphic resonance and his dad was like whoa well you know like he's he's pretty proud that you know his son was like taking his work seriously yeah and he's like well how the hell are you going to do that you know he's like well we're gonna we're gonna do questions on the test 15 and 16 first and then we're going to start at 1, 2, 3, 4 after that mm-hmm. and by the time you know we get to 1, 2, 3, 4 everyone will have answered it already so we'll get a boost from Morphic Resonance because everybody's already answered the question mm. and so that's what I thought you were talking about but I'm going to go ahead and yeah. hand the mic over to you oh. at this point. No, it's very similar I mean I think he found, I want to say it was Denmark but he had found that some country that that's just how they tested where they they would take the test they would essentially cut it in half and it would be the same exact test but they would flip the questions mm-hmm. so one one half of the class for example would be answering questions 1 through 10 while the other half of the class would be answering questions 11 through 20 and they had found that all of the students um, tested better on the second half of their test and his idea behind that being that well, everyone had already experienced this that half by the time they got to it, mm-hmm. and that's why the scores had went up. And my only, which would point to the subliminal telepathic things that you're talking about, and my only, not skeptical, but critical thinking knock on that would be perhaps by that half of the test, they had gotten more comfortable and students, once they get more comfortable, are able to answer answer questions better. But I still think it's an interesting theory and something worth looking at. You know, so. what my skeptical mind goes to with that example is that, okay, so you have, like, they did a lot better on the last half of the test. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, you know, one half of the class has, you know, I guess, like, what, like, 1 through 10, mm-hmm. and then, you know, 11 through 20, the other one has 11 through 21st, and then, you know, 1 through 10 on the second half and they did they all did better on the second half but this my skeptic in me says why did they all do better on the second half if you know unless everyone did good on it 
Because if some people did bad, wouldn't that feed into the morphic field of people getting wrong answers? That is fair. You know, that's very fair. Like if you know, everyone would have had to done really well on those particular questions, I guess. Although it almost feels like, like by nature, as far as these morphic fields go, like intrinsically, they're. It's almost like they they hold on to whatever maybe positive outcomes there are, but then neglect or even. That's what I was, I was about to expose say, the negative like ones, like or evolutionary state to it, to where only the some, like a surviving thing passes. Like there's still like a defense mechanism to it, almost. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. But um, then you have to have something that's like you're talking about it. the rats. Yeah. And as far as like every every set of rats, mm-hmm. always just from the whatever base set, always getting better from then on. Yeah. Well, obviously, they're learning from past experience yeah you know maybe maybe that is the case that i mean with uh, i mean with the red experiment i mean that kind of i feel like that kind of has some volition to what you're saying but i mean now that i'm like you know thinking about it, it's like what you know like why doesn't the bad transfer you know yeah you know how come Mm -hmm. you know i mean that's just uh i mean that that is definitely something to think about Mm -hmm. on this theory i mean it's almost as far as what one person considers bad is opposed to another yeah you know or maybe, or may, you know, maybe, it, maybe it is a purely like survival like construct that you know mm-hmm. nature has provided for us, like only to draw from the good. Yeah. The, but then in that case, yeah. you still have to give it time for it to play out to decide. Because when it's happening in that moment, when you make said decision, whether you're marking, I don't know, for for the test example, whether you're marking A or D, when you mark it, you don't know if that's right or wrong mm-hmm. to for it to be passed off. So that still gives room for if that's the case there still has to be an overarching thing that predetermines what is the good and the bad and what to pass off and what to say nope you were wrong even though you don't know you're wrong i'm not letting that go forward because it is wrong yeah um but there's yeah there's a lot there there's a lot there yeah i mean it's it's a lot to unpack Mm -hmm. um i mean and definitely, I mean, we're only talking about, like, little nibbles and bits off mm-hmm. of this, mm-hmm. you know, video that, that we watched. I mean, again, I'll, you know, definitely suggest that anyone listening to this would go and watch that video to get a better explanation. Because I know we're, you know, we're, we're, we're only giving you what we can explain in this yeah. you know, short time. Yeah. But, um... We do what we can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I think that we were talking about earlier how, you know, like like things share you know like memory mm-hmm. but what about other animals like can a can yeah. a can a human and a dog or a cat you know have a have a bond that's worth telepathy yeah mm. you know uh within this resonance and this collective memory that rupert sheldrake is talking about so apparently uh he had done a survey you know about people's dogs and cats that knew when they were coming home and apparently there was I, I don't know what the number was but there was a number significant enough for him to kind of like deep dive, dive deep into the subject mm-hmm. he actually wrote a book on it like when when dogs know when their owners are coming home yeah he actually wrote a book on it um and apparently there was a series of tests that were run i think there was one that was done in sweden that if you watch the video that we've been talking about um you can see a little bit of it but they ran synchronized cameras in people's houses. So they put one in their house and they ran another synchronized camera that went along with the uh, person who volunteered for the test. So 
the synchronization of the cameras and having them in the house, the purpose of that is to see if the dog, you know, like goes to the door or like looks out the window mm-hmm. when the owner is coming home. Like, is there a, are, are these, you know, two species bo- kind of bonded enough, you know, that, you know, the dog is going to respond to when the owner is coming home. Yeah. Now, when you're thinking about this test, you know, you have to kind of consider, oh, you know, is the dog like going off of routine? Like, does the owner always come home at a certain time? You know, is uh, that's what I'm thinking is like time wise. I feel like that's like the only thing that would. Yeah, I mean, I mean, can, can, does a dog? Because they can figure that out easily enough. I feel like, but yeah, I mean, I, I figure that. I mean, it's definitely like a valid point. Like, you know, if they're coming home at a certain time every day, you know, the dog yeah, dog's got a or, schedule too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's gonna you know kind of like the other one. The son's in this position. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. he's probably uh-huh. coming home soon. Well, you yeah. have like like me like my job my my schedule literally changes daily. Yeah, and my cat still meets me at the door every day. Yeah, and he's. I mean, that might be. He's got a whole lot better earring than I hearing than I do. Maybe you should volunteer for one of his tests. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> but I mean, there's so many. There's other factors too. Of, I mean, the cat just he, he hears so much better than I do. Yeah. So he could hear the specific sound of what my truck sounds like pulling in, knowing, oh, dad's home. Exactly. I mean, they took that into consideration during the test as well. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they took, in, from, from what I remember, they took into consideration, you know, habitual times that they came home. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the sound of, you know, potentially them hearing the sound of the car coming from a couple miles away and like, oh, knowing, you know, exactly when they're, they're about to hit the door. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sense of smell, mm-hmm. you know, any, you know, extracurricular senses that dogs and cats have that, you yeah. know, then it may not be picking up on. So the test that they ran took into consideration these variables. So they had two synchronized cameras, one in the house, one with the person who went out. And they kept these things recording, you know, during the entire experiment that was going on. They sent the volunteer out, out and out to different locations, um, unbeknownst to them. And they had no idea when they were going to be coming home. And they weren't even driving their car. They put them in cabs and, you know, had them, mm-hmm. you know, take off in, in cab and come home in a different one. And, you know, the owner didn't know when they were coming home. So they just, like, went out. They went shopping at the mall. They took them over to this place, took them over to that place. And this whole time, these synchronized cameras are going, you know, with the timestamp on mm-hmm. them. So you can see exactly, you know, what's going on. And there was a significant amount of times. And I, I believe for dogs, it was about 45 to 50%. And for cats, it was 30 that had um they had a reaction like as soon as the owner like got a text or a phone call from the person who told them to come home like from the point that they you know before they even got into the car like the dogs and the cats like got went to the door and just started waiting wow Hmm. and they just sat there i mean 30 30 30 percent for cats 40 percent for dogs i mean significant yeah it's, it's significant chance maybe maybe not mm-hmm. but if you know they're sitting there the whole time and just like waiting from them from the point that they you know get into the car to the point that they come home in a car that you know they're not accustomed to hearing or listening mm-hmm. to you know i mean i think that's a that's a pretty pretty, so pretty many, wild experiment there's so many variables to that too that i mean because i i would feel like it would also depend on the the relationship between the person and the animal yeah that's i mean fair like you know like you got a dog that you're super devoted to and that dog like you see some dogs when their owners come home and they just flip out depending on you know how long it's been or whatever mm. S- some people just have that bond with their pets some have pets just to have pets and yeah. maybe that's not the case but 
Yeah, I mean, I feel like based off of research, if it was true, like the feeling that I would get that would happen is that they'd have to be pretty strongly bonded. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, that seems to be like the kind of the basis for his, you know, his explanation of these like telepathic or, you know, empathetic experiences that either, you know. More often the case in that scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Be more. More often, yeah, more often the case in that scenario. Um, they're just they're just more closely bonded. So I mean, you had a you know pretty significant on dogs, not as significant on cats. I mean, cats are kind of you know <laughs> more solitude, more, more yeah. solitary. They just don't give anyway. a shit, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they just don't care as much. Like dogs, like, some oh, some yeah. cats though. Some cats are just uh, oh, mine loses his mind when my wife gets home. Yeah, like it's she's like, the only person that does it. He he does that for too. Will will lose his mind. Like, where have you been? I'm pissed. You're not home. Yeah. Like loud meowing. But yeah. Now, Andy, when you you were talking to us about potentially coming on, you were you were a little worried about. Oh well, this might not fit in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel you guys. You know, for the for the most part, not not all, but mm-hmm. I mean, you guys. You know, you kind of you go into larger conspiracy theories i mean you guys did the mk ultra mm-hmm. you know you do bigfoot you did we like you know, conspiracy col- theory colossal yes. quad <laughs> yeah. and you know this one kind of fits into like a pseudoscience kind of realm which mm-hmm. i when that's why i love that you came and brought this on because i feel like it kind of it i feel like with each section every time we bring a topic on we've not talked about before like we just did exorcism we've not done that before because we've honestly been a little not scared but we want to handle it properly Mm -hmm. i've been reluctant for sure (laughs) yeah so like with these um pseudoscience topics it's not so much that we're not interested and not that we want it on but it it's more of we've not got the balls yet to think that we can handle it properly but I think this is a good introduction into something that we're very that we and I think our listeners also are very interested in. And one thing, like when you you said, "Hey, I'm not sure if this this will fit so much," and I started listening to the lecture, I was like, "No, this this fits in perfectly." Because even if you want to go kind of on the weirder side of the spectrum, that makes me think about um, how in the ancient times everyone was building pyramids and it's like why was everyone building pyramids we have this uh south america pyramids we have pyramids in egypt and similar pyramid like structures in in india and places like that and it's like why with people that had no connections at that time still thought this is the right way to build a big structure yeah i it, mean it would that would fit into the model of morphic resonance i mean if yeah. people are drawing off of a like a past memory or a shared yeah you know collective unconscious i mean you got pyramids in egypt you got mm-hmm. pyramids in, with the mayans you know mm-hmm. india mm-hmm. i mean th- this has been a very you know ubiquitous structure that has been made by you know the ancient you know our, our predecessors mm-hmm. d- roughly around the same time mm-hmm. and you know i feel like that's pretty you know significant as well because i mean travel you know, especially between, you know, engineers who would have like the know-how to do these things, you know, to go from if you know, from Egypt to India, mm-hmm. you know, to South America. Yeah, that far back. Like, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would so. feel that the pharaoh would probably want to hold on to that guy for as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, yeah. so I mean, you know, there, it's it's something to think about, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a topic of on the surface level, it may seem okay. This is just a a super deep dive into a scientific topic that might be easy to lose people, but when you think of everything that it could spiderweb out to, and all the thing, all the subjects it could 
it could touch and affect and potentially explain then it puts it in a whole new whole new ship shift of perspective yeah so, i would definitely definitely say that jordan's just gently nodding yeah uh, sorry i should <laughs> should comment uh, what, I was, what i was gonna say is what i what i love about these kind of episodes is like well especially when we have a guest on or something like that or a uh, topic that we haven't necessarily confronted before like wh- how much of you how much have you had to s- source your material like 15 minutes of the oh, Jesus hour and something conversation that we've had yeah not not that much time between me and you know taking care of my boy dude <laughs> yeah right 18, 18 month year old like running around at home and he, he drives me nuts yeah um, but I mean back back to your point about me not thinking that this would like fit into the uh, you know the prerogative of your guys's podcast um, you know the thing that that really made me think that this actually might fit was there's a few uh, a few if not one at least one podcast where you guys had mentioned you know the you guys have had the feeling of being stared at at some point mm-hmm. and that's how i kind of started this podcast off yeah and you know one of the experiments that rubik Childrake has kind of run and he he plays around with a lot is you know he has he like will literally test like if people can sense if they're being stared at he'll have somebody like standing behind them and then have somebody look at them and then you know look away and then then the person who's like sitting in the chair has to you know decide whether or not you know they feel like they're being stared at or not yeah Mm -hmm. now the tests have concluded that women are way more sensitive to this than men Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They, they've been. I feel like they've been. They're being stared at a lot more than men are. That's but fair. again, that's if, that, if that's if that's worked into the fabric of you know, throughout time, women have been stared at. Well, if it's a collective, co- it's it's a collective. It's a collective still. Um, but yeah, I mean, women significantly feel it a lot more than men. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot remember the stats for this test right now, and I yeah. think. She, actually don't remember if he actually laid them out this i feel like that no yeah no this is definitely one of the ones where he didn't lay out the actual results for the test okay it was more of a general conversation piece yeah, almost exactly yeah, yeah. it was yeah more of a general conversation but uh, apparently i mean the, the stats the stats that he did give were that women were a lot more sensitive to it than men and i think that, that it, like if you were to put it like a percentage wise like they were like women were like 80 percent like men were 70 percent i'm not saying like 80 percent of women like felt it yeah yeah but if you're putting it into a like a statistic like that um they're about actually 10 percent more than men Okay. Um, wow. So yeah, if you, you know, you you may actually, if you feel like you're being stared at, you might actually be being stared at. But the chances <laughs> of that, if you're going to go with the whole morphic resonance theory, is that it's probably somebody that you know or yeah. you're mm-hmm. close to, or your dog, <laughs> or your dog staring at you, yeah. <laughs> waiting for food. <laughs> yeah. Not the shadow figure in the corner. No. Don't worry about him. No, we're good. He's no. just minding his business. Yeah, yeah. No Mothman out there. You know, no, no, no Bigfoot looking at you through the no. window. Only on Saturdays. Can only hope. <laughs> where, the, where the hell is Frank, dude? Frank, he's he's on a, a retreat with his uh, his family up in Oregon at the moment. Um, he's recharging his batteries, and he will be back shortly. With all the work he's been putting into the show, man, I mean, he deserves a break. Right. I mean, he's you guys gotta, been working him. Yeah, he's got a kickback. I mean, he just had that big race down in Tennessee. Yeah. So. He had, he had to kind of lay low, honestly, so the law wouldn't catch him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Is that uh, 
Is that about the gist as far as uh, morphic resonance goes? Oh, um, yeah, this 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 round? That's about the gist that, that I'm I'm willing to, to put out there right now. I mean, okay. I, I feel like this this podcast is probably going to run like an hour long or so. And oh, mean, at least if, yeah. If people want to look into it, YouTube Rupert Sheldrake, and there's just like a million videos. I mean, this I think this guy started popping off and like or somewhere around 2003. Mm-hmm. Really started going around 2007, and um, I mean his TED talk was banned, but you can find it on YouTube. And it's just uh, I think he, it's so interesting. Like his TED banned. talk was banned. Yeah. Well, he he is going against mainstream science, mm-hmm. and he like he is calling them out. You know, one of the big things that he kind of calls them out on is the the finitity. I, I guess that, I don't know if that's a word, but you know <laughs> how, how like finite like physics is, mm-hmm. right. such as like the speed of light. Apparently, I, I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but apparently there are variations to the speed of light. Like, it's not a constant. There have been rec- records of it that have been one speed, records of it that have been another speed. I could see that. Records that of it being another speed. Variations. But yeah. they, but for science, like, reasons, they have... There has three, to be a test or a constant or they, a... They've um, given it a, a constant speed, but science mm-hmm. doesn't want to admit that this is a, this is a fallacy and... And they're not willing to admit that, you know, these constants change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he has a book out called The The Ten Dogmas of Science, I believe it I believe that's the title. It's something close to that if it if not exactly. Mm-hmm. But um that's what I plan to read. It's it seems like it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty cool. Okay. Um yeah, I don't know, man. I mean I, I think science is it's all, all around gonna be a good thing for it, but I you know, I think Scientists can some kind sometimes get narrow-minded in their field, and For sure. they want their work to be the shining, you know, jewel on the crown. And happens you know. to everybody. As much as we don't want that morphic resonance to kick in, I mean, pride is also a thing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. pride yeah. is a thing. Anytime you enter humans into any system, yep, <laughs> they're going to be problems. More variables, error. <laughs> yeah. So with morphic resonance, there's a lot of. I feel like even if you're not fully on board with it, like we've all kind of talked about throughout this of where we see parts of it and other parts of it, we're like, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent buying it, but there's something there. I feel like even if we're just researching morphic resonance, just because there is something there and we find out, Hey, it's total bunk, but it's led us to this thing that isn't, it's still worth it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like by not, not giving this its due you're robbing yourself of that potential and yeah i mean i'd concur to that man i mean like i think you know any i mean anything that has as much like research and like thought put into it as this guy has put into his work Mm -hmm. i mean i think i think you know might have some volition It, it deserves some looking into um you know and so does the crazy crackhead on the corner, man. Like, <laughs> I just wish that people were more open-minded in general. Like, if any, if anybody took a second thought, you know, like or a second out of their day to think about more specifically how maybe their action, uh, given this chain of thought and reactionary kind of uh, processes that are happening, like what your impact might be on those around you. Maybe just think about something bigger than yourself, and yeah. you might be better than yourself. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. I think what's holding this back, for the most part, I mean, I think it's two things. It's it's two egos. That yeah. Are, mm-hmm. That are that are that are convulging at this point. You have you have the ego of like what current science is, materialistic science, mm-hmm. versus the ego of Rupert Sheldrake. Yeah. He's pissed off that nobody likes his shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
honestly, I think that it's it's worth looking at. Yeah. Like, honestly, I mean, there's some things in there that I can relate to in my life that I'd be like, hmm, you know what? This guy might have something going on here. There might be some validity to what he's explaining. Maybe not all of it. Maybe just a little slice of it. Maybe the whole thing. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I just... It I, only takes one. Yeah. It only takes one dude. But I think his ideas, you know, whether or not they're true or not, could, you know, incept into somebody else's mind some other ideas which they could build off of. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that habitual... You know, ideas are kinda, how we've gotten this far. Kind of creed yeah. we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that uh, enough people looking into it, you know, would spark some some interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think uh, I think this guy has done a lot of research, and I think that he's put a lot of work into this. And you know, that's not always enough for you know people to give him credence, you know, and uh, and validity for what he does. But I just overall, I think it's just interesting in general. Yeah, if absolutely. anything, if anything, it's fantastic for sci-fi, right? Which it's already <laughs> been used for. There, there is a. Uh, have you guys ever? What the hell is that show called? It was a branch off of Doctor Who, uh, Breachwood. Uh, no. What, it, what the hell is it called? Um, there is there is a show. It's called. Uh, God dang it, dude! No, it was it, it, they actually. Sorry, I'm sorry. The show I think it's called Breachwood or Blanchwood. It's a it's a, a spinoff of Doctor Who. There's a character on there where he had a spinoff, mm-hmm. and like the whole season is about morphogenetic fields. Hmm. Like that's the overlying theme of it. That they call it the Sheldrake theory. Okay. So mm-hmm. I mean, he's in media already. I mean, they you know people are you know taking his work. I mean, it's been noted. Yeah. You know, um, he's got a ton of books out there. Only, you know, one of two band. He's got 50% of the BAM TED Talks out there. I mean, if that's, you know, <laughs> something to pay attention to, I mean, Jesus, what does it take to get a band TED Talk? Right, right. It yeah. Takes, it takes Rupert Sheldrake and then Graham Hancock. And I think what he was, t- I mean, it's not even what Graham Hancock usually talks about, but I think he was talking about the benefits of using like psychedelics, like magic mushrooms or something like that for Pete. PTSD patients, which they're doing now. Hmm. So it's, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, you get these little inflections of insight from people who, you know, are, you know, outliers, and then all of a sudden it just starts becoming mainstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it just takes a little attention, you mm-hmm. know, it takes a little a little nudge forward. A little thinking outside of the box. And, yes. uh, you know, maybe it goes somewhere, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it's real, maybe it's not, but... Um, They're innovators. I don't know anything, man. I'll I'm give just, them that. I'm just a guy with a cup of whiskey. <laughs> We're just here to talk about them and drink whiskey. Yeah. Well, I want to thank Andy for coming on and all the yes. time he put into his research. And I I, th- I think we got a pretty damn good episode out mm-hmm. of it. And, and hopefully we got your wheels spinning. And if we did, let us know. Let us know how you felt about this. This is our first branch into into the pseudoscience topics and if you want to hear more from it don't hesitate to tell us because we love this kind of stuff and we will absolutely do more episodes on it well we got a couple of people that are like chomping at the bit chomping at the bit to be on the show too so jordan if they want to tell us how they felt about this where can they do that well they could hit us up at creepy campfire podcast at gmail.com absolutely as far as email goes or they could uh they could message me directly on the on the uh instagram Mm-hmm. Uh, hit us up directly on the well, the email of course, um, or shoot us shoot us a message at the at pod or at um, 
Oh my god, why can't I think of it? Podbean, our, Pod, our Pod hosting Bean, site? That's the one. I was like, Podbean? <laughs> yep. Cast something? Message us there. Tell us how you're feeling about things. Tell us how you feel about the show. And if you're enjoying it, please take a second, whatever you're listening to us on, hit that rating, five stars if you can, five toes, five thumbs, whatever it might be. And Drop a like. Right, because that's how people find the show. And we want to get more people into the campfire, uh, more stories that people have had. We actually just had um, someone write us in. Eric from Reno wrote us in about Pyramid Lake that we're going to be doing something on. So then we just did an Urban Legends episode thanks to the recommendation of our great listener, Alex. So join the bandwagon, hop on, let us know what you want to hear. But I think that does it for this one. Andy, this is your first time, but you've listened before, so you should know. So until next time, everybody. I don't think this is going to be your last time, but again. Oh, I didn't say last. I just said first. Before before we we say the last line, I want to thank you guys. Like This has been awesome. This has been like an absolute... like great experience for me like yeah. I, I have had a really good time coming Drops. on you guys' podcast i mean if, if i have anything to say for all the next guests that you guys have on you guys have been uh very very homely you guys have uh you know you have offered treats and, and good, good <laughs> thank good, you ryan good libations um this yeah. has been a been a been a good treat a fun experience guys i'm i'm, I'm having a blast well, you're bringing so. the uh, bottle of whiskey that's almost gone has helped, too. Right, that is yeah, definitely I mean, not hurt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's good whiskey, dude. You know, <laughs> like, it's I don't know. always loosens things Man. up. You know, I don't, it's always good. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, <laughs> it did its job. We appreciate it. It definitely did. We appreciate it. And you did yours. Yeah, I know. Yes. and again, thank you guys. You guys this has yeah. been great. Seriously. Of course. We're glad to have had you. Yeah. Yes, of course. Until next time, everybody, always remember, stay, stay toasty. toasty.